The dude is really good at preaching. It was one of the people who I was thinking about asking that I knew of before from Harding. And I pondered for a minute. I was like, hmm, do I really want to ask him? He might be too good. <laughs> you know, I think all preachers have this thought go through, through their mind when they ask somebody to fill in for them. Like, I don't want them to be too good. But no, seriously, though, he is really good at preaching, and so you'll, you won't want to miss it. Uh, it'll be a, a good time, and I think he's also going to do class as well. So now that being said, let us just, I, I just want to pray before we get into the sermon. God, you are good. Lord, anything that we have that is good in our lives is because of you. Lord, we ask that you continue to bless us and to continue to manifest your spirit in our lives, to constantly sanctify us, to make us more like your son. Lord, we're mindful of the many people, the many people who are struggling with, whether it be illness or maybe somebody is struggling with uh, spiritual issues in their life. Lord, we pray that you would provide healing in whatever form or they, they need. God, we are so thankful for your son, your son who has loved us immensely, loved us even though we did not merit the love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm not a determinist by any means, but I do believe God, he, he guides things and events in our lives, and I believe he still guides thing, things that happen today. Now, some of you have heard of how Michaela and I have met, and I believe God guided that to some extent. Right? We, we met at a church camp, and it was really kind of a, I mean, if you think about it, it's crazy that it happened. Right? She grew up in northern New Mexico in a town of 300, and I grew up in Waco, Texas, a town of 130,000. Right? And so we're, we're separated by many, many miles. Right? And then somehow God works through a church in Saginaw, Texas. Saginaw, really weird name. You know, worked through a church in Saginaw, Texas, and they started this camp about 20 years ago. And eventually, they, they started a mission trip to the town that Michaela was from, just to, you know, put on a VBS for the children there. And, and it's really crazy. They, they met her when she was eight, and eventually they invited that group from New Mexico to come to camp in Texas. Right? And so just to think about the, the two different worlds, two different cultures, because that's really what they are, uh, you know, I remember the first time going and visiting Michaela's family and visiting there, and I was just blown away with how different it was compared to what I was used to. And just to think about how God used a church in Saginaw, Texas, used Michaela and her family in New Mexico, northern New Mexico, and how he used me to bring us together, and now that we are married, right? It's just crazy how it worked together. It doesn't seem like it should have happened, and yet it happened, and I think it really can only be explained by God. And I believe God worked together these events because of his love, because of his loving kindness. You see, there's this phrase, there's these, this word that is translated in the Hebrew in the Old Testament. It's hesed, the Hebrew word hesed, and we translate it as loving kindness, kindness, or love. And now this hesed, God's hesed, really has to do with love and loyalty, though it may be undeserved. Now Exodus 24, or rather, Exodus 34 Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, or has said, and faithfulness. 
You see, this has said, this steadfast love, this love and loyalty, it's just a part of who God is. It is within his nature to show us this love and loyalty, even though it may be undeserved. And so perhaps you have experienced God's has said, right? Perhaps you've experienced in the way that he's worked together events in your life. Maybe you've, you've considered how things just pieced together and there was no way it could be explained by other than God working working through his said. Now in the book of Ruth, we see his said appear several times, literally referred to the word. We see his said work, and it works through Ruth. Now Ruth, again, being a person who is what? Who is weak. Now just as a reminder from the original sermon, weakness is something that demonstrates our need for God. Just as everybody has weaknesses, everybody needs God, and Ruth needs God. And God, he works tremendously in her life, perfecting his power in her weakness. See, the way the, the events work together in the book of Ruth, it, it can only be explained by God. But sometimes before the good to come about, there is trouble. And so Ruth chapter 1, Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and his, the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of their sons were Malon and Gilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived about there ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now we learn a few things from this line here. We learn that they are in the time of the judges. Number two, there is a famine probably due to Israel's cycle of sin. For those who were here last week, remember, Israel's cycle of sin, they would turn to other gods, and guess what? They would face some trouble. And so there was a famine in the land, and this also leads us to believe maybe Ruth's life overlaps with Gideon's. You see, in Gideon's time, they also faced a food shortage because the Midianites would take their food. Aside from that, one thing is for sure. They're in a bad spot, right? They're in a bad spot. They, they lost their spouses. Naomi lost her spouse and her sons. That is not a good spot to be in. So let's see how they respond in Ruth, Ruth uh, chapter 1, verses 8 through 14. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly. There's that word, has said. May the Lord show has said to you, with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. 
Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So remember, they are spouseless. Naomi is sonless. That essentially guarantees for them to be in abject poverty. See, the only thing that Naomi has going for her are two daughters-in-law. Otherwise, she literally has lost everything. She has nothing to offer to Orpah and Ruth. She doesn't. It would make more sense for them to just leave her and go somewhere else. And Naomi acknowledges that. She says, look, it makes more sense for you to leave me. Go find yourselves husbands. Go have a life. Go have a future. But in Naomi's grief, Ruth sticks with her. Verse 14, then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth gave up her home. She gave up her family. She gave up what she knew for an old widow. Now, let me tell you something. Seemingly, uh, Ruth's choice, it's not to her advantage. There's nothing to be gained by what she is doing, but she displays what she displays has said. She displays this love. She displays this loyalty, even though it's not deserved on Naomi's part. Naomi doesn't have anything to offer. She doesn't have anything to give for this love, and yet Ruth loves her anyway. Maybe you feel like Naomi. Maybe you respond to God, God, I have nothing to give you. I have nothing to offer, God. I'm I'm not that skilled, God. I literally have nothing to give you. Maybe you feel undeserving of that love, but God does not care. God's going to give you that love. God is going to give you that loyalty, even if you you don't have anything to offer for it, because quite frankly, not a single person in in this auditorium has anything good to offer besides themselves. And yourself, you are enough for God, and God is going to love you, and he's going to be loyal to you. Now, Ruth, she stands in contrast to Orpah. Ruth chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you will die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. See, Orpah didn't love Naomi as Ruth did. And it's also interesting that the person who wasn't selfless, the person who did not love, wound up where they wound up with their gods. And the person who was selfless, the person who loved, wound up where they wound up with God. See, there's a point to be made there. If you are really selfless, if you really love, guess where you're going to wind up? You're going to wind up with God. But if you are selfish, If you do not really love, you are going to wind up with anything and anyone but God. And Ruth, she not only winds up with God, she wound up in Boaz's field, Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, 
Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gathered among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Right, so Ruth, she winds up in Boaz's field. Why? Because she planned it. You know, uh, people often skip over this, but in verse 2, she says, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. She wound up in Boaz's field because she planned it. Now, why is she doing this? I mean, put yourself in her shoes, right? Her and Naomi, they are poor, right? And Ruth doesn't have to do this. She doesn't have to pursue a kinsman redeemer, and yet she does. Naomi doesn't deserve it, and yet Ruth is still willing to do so because of her love and loyalty. And look at what the, uh, the man says about her in verse 7. So she came and has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. You see how, she, how determined she is to provide for her mother-in-law, how much she loves her mother-in-law, how loyal she is to her mother-in-law. She is willing to work all day. She shows has said. And it's because of this has said she gets Boaz's attention in Ruth 2, verses 10 through 13. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, that is Boaz, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants." Now, I like how at first she's kind of playing dumb, right? Oh, how did I get your attention? Again, she planned it. She planned to go to the field and get his attention. But it's not really her that gets the attention. It's what she did, right? She gets Boaz's attention because of the love and the loyalty she shows her mother-in-law. Just like maybe you have, uh, have loved and have been loyal to somebody in your life. Well, guess what? That's going to get somebody's attention, you see, when we truly love, when we are loyal to somebody, when we show said, that's going to get others' attentions. And they'll be like, well, I want to partake in that. I want to be, I want to be loved like that. I want to be shown that said. I want to show others that love. See, when we love like this, it's going to get others' attentions. And a little later in chapter 2, we see uh, Boaz, in fact, he lets her glean more, right? And he sends her off with plenty of of food, and then she goes and she reports what happens to Naomi and the response in verse 20. Naomi's response in verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, whose kindness, that is to said, has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. 
Yet again, we see this word, right? Hesed, this kindness, this love, this loyalty. You see, behind all the events, God is there. Behind everything that is happening, God is working his love and his loyalty for their good. And he does this by providing a kinsman redeemer. Now, what is this anyway? Well, the Hebrew is goel. Now, a goel or a kinsman redeemer is a male relative who either has the opportunity or the obligation to redeem or help a relative. Now, in this case, this means marrying a widow who lost their husband. And so now, Ruth, she has this opportunity, right? There is somebody who can redeem her to to help her and Naomi to get them out of poverty to save them, thanks to God who has been working out his said, his love, his loyalty in their situation. And so Ruth, Naomi has a plan for Ruth in Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were? So he is winnowing in barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Now, I know the situation sounds weird, right? And it is to us. It is. But people have made a lot more of this passage than there is. Some people have interpreted it and said, oh, Naomi's trying to get Ruth to seduce Boaz. Right? Some people have suggested that this is something sexual is going on here, but that's not what's going on. See, so what's happening here is common practice, but before we go any further, let's see how this plays out. Ruth chapter 3, verses 6 through 11. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and un- uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You've made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Now, as I said, this situation, regardless of how you interpret it, it's kind of weird, right? First of all, why is Boaz laying at some uh, barley? Remember, he just finished uh, winnowing the barley. He's trying to protect his crop. That's why he's sleeping there. Now, secondly, why is Ruth uncovering and laying at his feet? Right? Well, see, this is part of leveret marriage, meaning brother-in-law marriage. According to Jewish law, the brother-in-law of a widow had the responsibility to take care and marry the widow. Also, according to Jewish tradition, it was proper for a woman to uncover the feet of a redeemer and lay at their feet, and this kind of symbolized their willingness to submit to their authority, right? So there's nothing sexual going on here. This is a common practice then. Anyway, before Boaz redeems Ruth, there is an issue, right? There was another redeemer who could have come before him, who could have had an opportunity to redeem Ruth. And to Boaz, he goes to this redeemer. He tells them that, hey, look, you got this opportunity to redeem Ruth and also Naomi, right? He throws that out in the end, right? And the, the redeemer doesn't like this. He's like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't mind the idea of marrying Ruth, but I don't want to take in the old widow, Right? And so the kinsman redeemer, the other one, he backs out, and then Boaz redeems Ruth and Naomi, and they live happily ever after. Well, no, that's, that's too quick, and that's not how that works. Uh, Ruth 4, 
Ruth 4, verses 13 through 17. There is more to this than living happily ever after. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the, uh, the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Right? You see how this, these events, they just come full circle? Right? Naomi, who lost her sons, who lost her spouse, now in a way has a son through Ruth. Right? And the Lord gave her conception. See, yet again, God has said God's love, God's loyalty is on display. God worked in, it worked in and through the events to bring about good. Even though Naomi and Ruth, they did not merit this love, they did not merit this loyalty, they did not have anything to offer God, at least according to worldly standards. But you see, that's not how God operates in love, right? God's not waiting for you to have something to offer to him in order for you to receive his love. Nor does God demand something from you once he has loved you. That's not God, how God operates. You receive his love whether or not you have anything to offer, and you are given his love whether or not you are going to give anything in response. See, it's up to you to respond to his love. It's up to you to respond to his love, his loyalty, to his hesed. You have an opportunity now to respond to this hesed, to respond to Jesus' immense love on the cross, to respond to his sacrificial life, to respond yourself in sacrifice, by being baptized, by being raised new. You can come as we stand and sing.